And he's not in the house just to be in the house. He's in the house to be about somebody's business. To help somebody along this life and along this journey here tonight. We're so thankful for the presence of the Lord and the touch of Jesus Christ that's in this service with us tonight. Appreciate our singers, musicians, and obeying the Lord and being touched of the Lord here tonight. Appreciate you coming, being in this service with us tonight. You have your Bible, turn to Exodus, the third chapter. Let me say as you're turning, it is an honor and a privilege to have each and every one of you in the house of the Lord. It's a great honor to ours to have our sister-in-law, Opal, with us here tonight, and Wesley, my nephew. God bless both of you for coming, being in this service with us tonight. Appreciate that so much. Amen. And my sister-in-law, she don't have to worry about uh, ever worrying about being the sister-in-law. I can promise her, amen, she's our sister-in-law. Amen. Praise God. So God bless her tonight. Got your Bibles turned with us, the third chapter, amen, of uh, Exodus. I'm not going to try to read all of it by no means whatsoever, just a portion of it. Uh, I've done talked, you know, about a lot of this. And so anyway, we're going to see. And Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of the Midnights, a Midian, amen, and he led the flock to the backside of a desert, came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame, a fire and out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And that's what got his attention. That's what caused him, a man, to stop the direction he was going and what he was about to do and involved in, and a man, because of this. And Moses said, I will now turn. Aside and see this great sight, why this bush is not burnt. There was a purpose, there was a reason, there's something transpiring, there's an encounter that's taking place here. And it, it, it would probably pay me to stop and turn and pay attention to what's going on and what's going to happen. And as soon as he turned, the Bible tells us the Lord saw that he turned aside. Amen. It's one thing for others to see in this one or that one, but it's a different story whenever the Lord sees when you turn. And I'm glad to know tonight that this guy is a, this God is an all-seeing eye. He sees everything, both good and evil. And he doesn't miss anything right down from the sparrow that falls or anything else upon this earth. And he won't miss the turning that you and I make, especially when we make the turn toward him and to his call or his touch or whatever his will might be. Whatever the dilemma or situation, amen, as we have even sung here already, amen, because there is a better life. I'm glad to know about this better life. I'm glad to experience it, but you know what? It's a journey and it's not over with. There's going to be other encounters and visitations, amen, from the Lord. And we're looking forward to them because we're going to need them. So we want the Lord to help us tonight. I simply want to preach a message, a personal encounter. I really feel strong about this. Don't know how far in the depthness that we'll go into this particular message here tonight. But I'm believing, amen, that even America, amen, needs a personal encounter with God. It's this personal encounter that's going to make all the difference, amen, when the trials come, when you're 
on the backside of a desert, when you feel like that you may be a million miles away from anybody and out of the will of God or whatever it may be. But I'm glad to know that there is a God that we can make a personal encounter. And there's no place as David made it plain to us that you can fly or go that can take out of his presence. When he gets ready to make a visitation with you and I on a personal encounter, I tell you, this God can do it. It may be on a sick bed. It may be in a prison. It may be on a top of a, top of a mountain. It may be in a service just like this one tonight. But I'm talking about a God that looks down from the circle of the earth with the power of his love and grace and spirit, amen, to walk in this place and to touch our hearts and lives. Would you help me pray? Lord, we love you tonight and appreciate you. We're so thankful for this opportunity that's been given enlightened unto us. Help us, God, here tonight. Open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits unto the visitation of the Lord, unto the touching of Jesus Christ. God, help us. Help us understand, hallelujah, that this personal encounter with you is what makes the difference, amen, of us finishing the journey and accomplishing that that we're called upon to achieve. We love you tonight and appreciate you. We're thankful for every soul and every individual that's in this house tonight. I ask you, God, in a special way to touch each one in the way that you see fit to all the praise and glory and honor is going to be lifted to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Lord bless you and you may be seated. Let me for just a moment before we go to the scripture text here tonight. I'd love to really take you back to Genesis the third chapter. And probably in the first nine verses there, the encounter, and we all know it. We know the story very well. This is a time that the serpent, a man that was more subtle than any beast in the field which the Lord had made, had made a visitation unto the woman. I'd like to make a few comments about these particular scriptures, amen, because this is one of the first places that we see that after God created man, amen, amen, his image and likeness, amen, to have someone to have fellowship with, have communion with, amen, and he did this. I'd like to make some few statements, and we will toward the ending of these verses tonight, and why we say what we say, but uh, uh, I looked at it just a little different after prayer and studying of the scriptures, amen, even of this encounter here, as you look, amen, the serpent itself and that word called subtle. Subtle action means it describes, amen, a kitten or a poisonous motive, amen, is what subtle actually means, amen. So that helps us to know, amen, that the purpose of this serpent, his agenda, his, his direction, amen, but but apparently it was fairly easily and wasn't an uncommon thing, amen, for, for maybe the animal kingdom, amen, to speak and to talk, amen, as he talked to Eve, even here, and she so easily begins to respond back unto him in this garden, in this ideal place where they had been set up and instructed to, of how to live and how to conduct themselves. And there was only one thing, amen, that they was required not to do, and that was to eat of that tree of good and evil, or the knowledge of good and evil. And, and so she understood that, maybe even a little further than that as you watch her response here, because we understand by the scriptures that this in these instructions was actually given to Adam and not necessarily to Eve and so the only way she would have known about it was uh, as Adam himself maybe had told her in some form or fashion amen and maybe this is where the added protection it came in if we could put it that way to not even touch of the of the fruit and just go around it be around have anything but this old subtle serpent amen that came in on the scene amen and moved upon this situation and began this conversation with 
Eve, hallelujah, and begin to persuade her and tell her that surely you won't die. Amen. If you take up this, and surely as you look at this tree, and she did, he brought it to her attention how beautiful it was and what it had to offer her. Amen. And, and, and through these avenues, amen, she began to be drawn to it and pulled to it. And she took up that fruit. And as soon as she took up and took up the fruit, she gave it to her husband that was with her. And so it was pretty much a done deal from that point and from that place. And, and if you do any study on the Hebrew and the Greek and different things of nakedness and things of this nature, you're going to see that it even talks about this serpent and likens him, amen, from the Hebrew and Greek words that he was known as naked, which means that he was knowledgeable of what was really going to take place, that he wasn't naked, amen, but he understood what was going to transpire. He understood what was going on, amen, because he had an agenda, amen, and that was to rob and steal and destroy a relationship that was between God and his creation called Adam and Eve. And so when you read on down a few verses and you get to the place, and this is where we get the idea sometimes that in the cool of the day that God visited them, amen. But if you look at it a little closer now, because now it's after they have taken of this fruit, and now that they have tried themselves to cover themselves with fig leaves, but now we read in the scriptures where now God comes to visit them on this particular setting. Not necessarily this was the normal habit and normal thing that God done on a regular basis, but now after this episode, God visits them on the cool of the day. It's amazing to me that God didn't visit them at the nighttime and the dark time. God didn't wait, wait amen, to the heat of the day and under his own anger and malice, but all oh, he waited to the cool of the day, the best setting, amen, that could be set, that he could visit his creation, that had disobey him. Don't misunderstand nothing. God knew exactly where Adam and Eve was at. They knew that he knew the condition they was in. He knew they kid themselves among the trees and tried to cover themselves. Where art thou, Adam? He knew exactly where Adam was, but Adam had to give an account from where he's at and why he was where he's at because God did not want to lose a relationship or a personal encounter with his creation. So after studying this this time, looking at the scriptures and prayer, I will be a little more hesitant about that God just visit them in the cool of the day. He did on this particular situation. And at this particular time, but who knows just how often God had visited Adam and Eve in that garden. Just how often he had walked in. Amen. His presence. Now they didn't see him get a hold of that. They heard his voice. Because God is a spirit. Amen. God is a spirit. You can't see a spirit. You can feel it. He can speak to you. But it didn't have no form. It didn't have no fashion here. But it was a presence that they, they was familiar with. It was a presence, amen, that they enjoyed. To enjoy to encounter and visit with them and minister unto them. And just how often he did, well, we really don't know. Possibly a daily visitation. Possibly sometimes even a nightly visitation. Who knows? Good company, you know, when you, got, when you really enjoy the company that's coming, it really doesn't matter what time they come. Amen. When it's somebody you love to be in their presence. Amen. To be in their countenance. 
countenance. Amen. And while they, when they come in, they always seem to leave you upbeat. They always seem to leave, seem, seem to leave you encouraged. See, that's the purpose of the house of God. That's the purpose of this gathering here tonight. We gathered here tonight. The Bible's taught us, says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And especially as you see the evil day approaching, we're living in a world today and a time today and a generation that wants less church and more of the world. Hallelujah. There's a possibility that some churches gathered tonight at churches and they're going to watch. And I wouldn't even know this is going on, but it was mentioned Friday night at church. The Super Bowl is going on and they're setting up their screens and they're going to watch it. Amen. Instead of having an encounter with God Almighty. But oh, I'd much rather have an encounter with God and with my Creator. Amen. That sat before and watching what they call a Super Bowl at two teams that I don't even know where they're at and who they are. Hallelujah. They battle aloud. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? I'd much rather have an encounter with the God, the Creator Himself. I'd much rather feel the presence of the man called Jesus Christ. The Lamb, amen, that was found from the very foundations of the earth that can wash away all my sins, that can take a corrupt mind and a corrupt heart and make it sound. Amen. That promised me I can have the spirit of a sound mind. That promised me that I can have salvation. That promised me that I can have a touch. If I get His touch in my life, I can be healed. I can be blessed. I can be made whole. So, so what I'm going to focus on for just a little while tonight, and probably I won't finish it all. I've got seven pages tonight. That's about three more than I normally have. Uh, so don't let uh, We'll just go. But, uh, but uh, I promise you, this is very important. If we're not careful, the reason America's in trouble today is because it's that personal encounter, a man that's lacking. Because without that personal encounter with God, you don't really know Him. You hadn't really experienced Him. <laughs> but once you, once you experience Him and have that encounter with Him on the personal basis, amen, in the personal realm, it changes you from who and what you are because He has the power to transform us. And so, with the help of the Lord tonight, with the help of the Holy Ghost here tonight, we want to preach as best we can, amen, in this place, on this, on, this, on this topic, a personal encounter, amen, with God. Hallelujah. Regardless of how it may be and where it's coming from. So I'm just going to use a couple of characters out of the Old Testament and then fall into the New Testament and use, and there's no way. There's no way that I can really begin to re tell you of the three and a half years of the ministry of Jesus Christ and the encounters that he had with different ones. Amen. Such as a lady with the issue of blood that spent all she had for 12 years until she touched the one called Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And let his healing virtue touch her. I don't have the time to tell you amen. Amen. The little lady that come that had her daughter that was faxed with the devil and at the point of death. Amen. That she wouldn't be, she wouldn't be despised. She wouldn't be rejected. She wouldn't take hallelujah. I mean, when they try to shove her aside, amen. She wouldn't accept that. But was wise enough to tell the Lord that amen. Even the dogs eat the, amen, from the crumbs on the master's table. All I need is a crumb from you, master. Hey, look, I know a crumb is more than enough, amen, to deal with my dilemma and deal with my situation. I don't have the time to tell you about different ones and invite them to their home, but when he said he was coming, he said, no, you don't have to come. i got enough faith and confidence in you if you'll just speak the word because I understand authority and power. I don't have enough time to tell you, amen, to the blind that was on the side of the road, but begin to cry out to him and he touched them. The, amen, those that died, no, 
toes and had leprosy and had no hope and shut off and shut off in colonies. But yet Jesus would come and touch them and Jesus would visit them. I don't have the time to tell you those are deaf ears. Hallelujah. And lame and different things is wrong with them. Lost and undone and hopeless until they had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Times he stopped. Hallelujah. Funeral processions and stopped them before they ever got to the, the graveyard. The times when he stepped into the graveyard and called a man that had been dead for four days back to life. I'm telling you, I'm talking about a God tonight that makes all the difference in the world. I want to use one tonight, going back to the Old Testament. You know him well, and you know the story well, but, but if you'll just allow me tonight, amen, talk about Moses for a minute. Moses, no doubt, just the very birthing of Moses, the time of his birth. Some would say it was an unseasoned time. Some would say that wasn't the best times to be birthed. Not into the Hebrews. <laughs> they done had two. Done had them, you know, more than they're supposed to have, in a sense. And so now here comes what once some would say a slip-up. A mistake. We don't like that, but it's the truth. <laughs> Hallelujah. But God, amen, works in ways that we don't understand sometimes. God's, God's sitting on the circle of this earth, and he, He's as far above us as the heavens above the earth, and His ways of doing things is the same way. Hallelujah. And so anyway, here comes a man by the name of Moses, a young little lad now. A mother, a man birthed into a mother and a dad that didn't fear the king, didn't fear Egypt, didn't fear all their, their requirements and their statements. And so they was able to hide a man, Moses, for about three months. And you know the story how that his mother, and it had to be a God thing. How many of you take your child and, and make a little bulrush, a man, and put him in a little basket and put him in a, in a river that's full of crocodiles? How many of you would do something like that? You know that had to be the voice of God. Hallelujah. So, you know, she'd done that, just obey. And God, and it wasn't no time, amen, because his sister should go down to observe and watch. You know the story. And you'd know, see the miraculous hand of God that's working on, the, on Moses' life from the very beginning. And so for the first 40 years, amen, after spending a certain time, we're not sure just how long, with his Hebrew mother, hallelujah, that she got paid, amen, by, by Pharaoh, hallelujah, to nurse her own son, to raise her own son, to, to implant, amen, about this one God, something that he wasn't going to forget. It was going to take 40 years before it came back to him until he reached a place that I don't want to be called the son of Pharaoh any longer. And then he visits, amen, his own people. And you know the story how as he looks upon them fighting and fussing with one another and he kills one of the Egyptians and buries him in the sand, comes out the next day and two brothers are striving against one another and he addresses them about it and then they tell him he knows it's all out and says, no, he's got to flee and run for his life. And so for the next 40 years as he's tending the sheep on the backside of a desert, it's amazing how God can lead and guide us to have encounters with him. I'm not sure Moses, you really hold out about this God on a personal account. Hallelujah. He's going to experience what I read to you tonight in Exodus, the third chapter. Amen. On the backside of a desert, if you please. Hallelujah. At the mouth, the mouth of God. Hallelujah. Keep dismiss God. Amen. A bush he wasn't consumed, but he gets to speak as he turns. Amen. As he observes and understands. I'm telling you, there's some visitations from God. It's like nobody else's. Hallelujah. I don't want to be like 
the Israelites, amen, when Jesus rode in on the side of that donkey and looking down over Jerusalem and weeping and crying and then, amen, acknowledging you missed your visitation. I'm telling you, it's not a time to miss the visitation of God. It's not a time to miss the personal visitation of God Almighty to visit us and to minister to us and to help us. Every time we gather together, every time we join together, we come here for that one purpose and that one reason. We want the Holy Ghost to fall in this house. We want the love of God to fall in this house. We want the Word of God to have the free course to accomplish and achieve what it's set out to do. I don't want to come to a house of God or I don't want to pastor a church and I don't want to pastor a church. It's got to be dictated and controlled by the hand of man. When we get to the place that I got to hand you a card and that's just the way it's going to be and nothing else can change, we're in trouble. When we start gathering together and, and, and this here can't be what's, what rules and reigns, we're in trouble. We got to be where we can come and let, let, let God be God. Because if we'll let God be God and if we'll let Him work, He'll work. He'll work. He'll see us through. And so as you, you've noticed this here, amen, and what really took place and what happened even with Moses. And that's the reason whenever you go over, and this is Deuteronomy, I'm going to jump in a long ways, but the writing of Deuteronomy, this is after Moses had done heard. He's not going to get to encounter the promised land. He's not going to get to visit the promised land. But God promised him, he said, I'll take you on the mountain. You can observe it. You can see it. But you're not going to go. You've you allowed the people to get the best of you. You allowed circumstance or situation. Amen. You didn't, you didn't obey my voice. And a lot of people say as well, it really don't matter. I'm going to tell you something. It matters to obey God. Even with this encounter that he had with Moses and how successful he was and the meekest man on the face of the earth. Hallelujah. And he's still known, amen, if you do any studying whatsoever, as one, if not the greatest leader that mankind has ever known outside of Jesus Christ. To take on the task and the responsibility, the call of God that was given to him on that particular day. Hallelujah. Whenever he moved upon him there and called and said, hey, I've heard the cry of my people. Hallelujah. I've heard the cry of my people. Amen. And the, and the taskmasters, hallelujah, the, the task has been placed upon them. I've come and delivered them. I want to send you Moses. And Moses says, who am I to go and deliver them? Who am I the one to go and tell Pharaoh to let your people go? Hallelujah. And he tried to reason with God. He tried to get out of it. And God began to work with him. Amen. He said, what's in your hands? He said, a stick, a rod. Throw it on the ground. You know the story. It turns into a snake. Hallelujah. He tells him, amen, to pick it up. Now first Moses fleeing. That's a smart thing to do. That's a sensible thing to do. I mean, you just some things you don't fool around with. Hallelujah. And serpents is one of them. Hallelujah. If you want to do that, I'd say there's something wrong with you, but that's up to you. Hallelujah. You just let me know if you got one for a pad. I won't visit you. If I do, it'll be on the porch. Hallelujah. I'm not interested in all of that. But I'm going to tell you something. God had just so much in control. He, for Moses to flee, he had him to turn around. He said, yeah, you pick it up by the tail. How many snakes you pick up by the tail if you don't want them to bite you? If you got to pick up one, what you got to do, you got to get a fork and stick it head down and get your hand behind your head and hold them. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hey, that's the only way to deal with the devil anyway. You've got to get a chokehold. And the only thing that can choke the devil is the word of God. Hallelujah. I tell you, the only thing that can choke the devil is the name of Jesus. The only thing that can choke the devil is when you walk in absolute truth and the absolute light. And when you do that, you can choke the devil out of your life. And if you don't choke the devil out of your life, you'll choke the word of God out of your life. So, 
you, you watch this. It, it really just begins to unfold. And so Moses, after this experience and after the ten plagues and after all of this happens and the 40 years in the wilderness and all these different things, and now he's writing it to them. And he's basically letting them know. You, you, you remember the time of Zion, the visitation. Amen. The voice of God. How he spoke unto you as a nation. How he moved upon you. He writes about it. In Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter. Did ever a people hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as thou hast heard and live? Huh. It's nothing like that personal encounter. It's nothing like that visitation. That's the reason we're warned in the Scriptures about blaspheming against the Holy Ghost. <laughs> it's without forgiveness. It's in the book. It's in the Word of God. There's some things you just can't reject. Some things you can't, you can't despise. It's in the book. He says, Or hath God said to go and to take him a nation? An essay, in other words, to go and take him a nation from the midst of another nation. By temptations, by signs, by wonders, by war, by mighty hand, or by a stretched out arm, by great terror, according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Has God ever done that for anybody else? Reach into Egypt, perform the miracles, wonders, signs, and fight the battle for you. To lead and guide you to a place called the Red Sea. And all that was following Moses. And if you'll follow through with that and go into the writings of the Corinthians, you'll see that Paul likens that unto them. That all of them had to follow what? The same cloud. This personal encounter with them, amen, I'm going to tell you something. Even in the wilderness, God didn't forsake them and leave them. As rebellious and as stiff-necked as they were, they was His chosen people. And He still had a cloud and a pillar of fire to lead them and to guide them. Finally, they find themselves on the shore of that old Red Sea. And God just simply speaks to them. Now watch Him. That same pillar that was leading them makes its way because the Egyptians are coming now. They got blood in their eyes. They can see the glitter of the swords as they come and bearing down on them. Amen. But God, that angel, goes to the backside of Israelites and stands between them and the enemy. If you read it close enough, you're going to see that the Bible says that that angel and that pillar became darkness to one group and light unto the others. Only this God can do something like that. Only this God can work in that form and manner like that. When it comes to saving His people, when it comes, amen, amen, to put them in a place, amen, for the man of God to stand and obey the voice of God, extend that rod. Hallelujah. Let a little east wind begin to blow in one night. I'll part these Red Seas. you got to come through that Red Sea. Everybody, amen, that was going to go to that promised land had to come through that Red Sea. They had to follow the man called Moses. They had to hear his, his instructions and direction. Amen. And to obey it. That's the same way of getting out of Egypt to start with. Everybody had to, they wanted to keep the judgment of God and the death angel out of their homes. Everybody had to hear the man of God and obey him when he said put the blood on the poor posts and lentils of your homes. Because that blood is the only thing amen is going to keep the death angel and judgment. Hallelujah. Out of your home and your firstborn from dying. Hey I'm thankful tonight. Amen. If I've had a visitation from God. I'm thankful tonight. 
not, amen, that God, hallelujah, in our generation and our time, that we got the writings of the Word of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm going to go a little further with it, and we'll show you in just a few minutes how precious the writings of the Word of God really is. And then, and you know what? You and I need to take advantage of it. And every time we get a chance, we ought to be reading the Word of God. Don't listen to them spirits, amen, that you rather read this and rather do that and entertain that. No, you better entertain the Word of God. This right here. It's probably one of the most precious things that you and I've got. He's not going to force us. He's not going to make us read it and study it. It's available unto us. But you and I have got to take the time out. We, we talked about it this morning. Peter's writings talking about it's a babe that desires and for what? Milk. Amen. You know, them little babies, it doesn't matter to them. You can be right in the middle of getting ready to go to church and they get hungry. They could care less if you've got to stop everything. They could care less if you've got to go warm up the bottle. Now, they've made it a lot easier than what it used to be. <laughs> Praise God. Now, they can just take them off and throw them in the trash can. Now, not like the baby. I'm talking about the diaper. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. You ain't got to go out there and go out there in the hose and wash it all out and then put it in the washing machine and take it out and hang it on the line and... Oh, it's a lot easier, amen, just to fold that thing up and throw it in the trash can. So it, it's, it's made life a little easier, amen. Call instant milk, things of this nature. It's made it a little easier. But it still doesn't seem to help, amen, at 1 o'clock in the morning and you just got good asleep. You were just, you were just, you know, you just got to that place, amen, that you was fixing just, I mean, you was really going out. And all of a sudden, and I mean, it starts out most time, just a little, but it won't take it long. He won't take it long. <laughs> Hallelujah. If he don't get the response, amen. If he don't get the bottle in its mouth, hallelujah. You put something in his mouth. <laughs> if it's not but your finger until you can get a bottle there. If you put something in the mouth, amen. Because at one or two o'clock in the morning, ah! wakes up the world. It wakes up all the house. That's the kind of desire and sincerity we ought to have about the Word of God. Waking up in the nighttime, amen. I didn't wake up to read a Lewis Lamar book. No, I woke up to read the Word of God. Hallelujah. I didn't wake up to look at this and do that. No, I got... Oh, I, can't be, I didn't wake up to get on Facebook and see what's going on. No, I got up to see what God's got to tell me out of His Word. That's how you can have encounters with God. When you wake up, amen, and get in a prayer room. When you wake up and get in the Word of God. I'll tell you, God, I'll visit us. So... I, I, I'm going to touch a few more. What about David? I mean, when you really think about David. In the 17th chapter. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Here comes David in on the little battle. His daddy sent him down there and sent some cheeses and corn and things to give to the generals and Check on his brothers and see how they're faring, how they're doing. And, you know, it's amazing how he just seemed to arrive at the right time. I mean, he comes walking into the camp. He wants to observe and see how, what kind of, how the battle's going. There wasn't no battle. <laughs> wasn't no fighting going on. Everybody was hiding. Everybody was, uh, you, know. you know why? Because none of them had a personal encounter with God up to this point in time, including the king. Including his older brother. 
They didn't know nothing about this God of Jehovah. <laughs> but David did. You know, I find it amazing when you really begin to look at those scriptures, especially the fourth, 45th verse. Amen. David said to the Philistine, well, let me back up, let me back up. When he comes to Saul, the word gets out. He begins to say, you know, talk about this, this giant. He begins to talk about this enemy. And they begin to tell him, say, oh, you ain't seen him yet. But you know what? It didn't change David's mind even after he saw the giant. Only heard about him to start with, heard him. But even after he saw him, it didn't change his, his message. Huh. Because he had a personal encounter. How do you know that? You watch this. And so finally the news gets around to Saul and Saul sends for him. As it becomes, and immediately David begins to encounter something to him that possibly he hadn't told anybody else up to this moment, until this time. Nobody didn't know anything about on the backside of them deserts when he was tending, as his brother put it, those few sheep. <laughs> but it didn't make any difference to David if it was a few or if it was many. In fact, it mattered to David. It was one single little lamb. Hey, this is the only God that can forsake the 99 and start looking for the one. This is the only God, amen. And I got my wife. She's going to sing a song after this service tonight. No, this is the only God that will walk the highways and the byways. This is the only God that can penetrate the valleys and climb the mountains and crawl in the caves. This is the only God that can move in the dungeons. Hallelujah, in the pits, amen. It don't matter if they physically or spiritually. This is the only God that can show up have an encounter with you and I whenever we reach that point place in our lives God I gotta have a visitation I've got to have a touch, God. I've got to have something. Amen. Jesus, you sung that song just last weekend. Jesus, you're the only one that'll do. You're the only one no one else to do. Nobody else's presence. Nobody else's touch. Nobody else's name. You're the only one. Amen. We sung the song tonight, Brother Brennan. Amen. If you're tired of the old roads and you're tired of the old fight, there's a better life, and that better life is in none other but that personal encounter with Jesus Christ. But without that personal encounter, and I'm telling you, you'll never experience it too the fullness. You and I have got to come to that place and point. If we have not, but maybe we have, but there's also going to be time even after that first encounter, there's other encounters along the journey that we got our visitations and touch of God to help us along this journey. As he told the man of God, Ezekiel, I mean Jeremiah, amen, the journey's too great. And he came down and visited him. And he came down and gave him water and bread and told him, oh, go back to sleep. And then woke him back up and fed him again and set him on the way. I'm telling you, this, these personal encounters is going to make all the difference in the world. Hey, I thank God. Please don't take me wrong here. I thank God for every big meeting. I thank God for every church service. I thank God for every move of God and every service we have. But I'm telling you that that's all you're trying to survive of. you got to find yourself in a place, amen, where you're not going to be able to survive. Scripture actually taught us not to follow signs. I think it would do us good sometimes to be careful if we want to run to a lot of events. Well, I fix to say something. Some of you may not like it and some of you may take it wrong, but, but it still don't change the truth of it. We can go to events and get all hyped up and worked up just like they do at the bands, at the, at the concerts. 
and walk out of there just as empty and as void and lost and lonely. Because we was, we, was, we was worshiping off of somebody else's sacrifices. We was worshiping off of somebody else's anointing. We was worshiping off of somebody else's personal encounters. Amen. But without our own, when we walk out of that, out of that atmosphere, am I preaching to us tonight? When we walked out of that atmosphere and we got to walk back out them glass doors and we got to face the real world and we got to face the real devil and we got to face the real things of life. I'm telling you, without that personal encounter with God Almighty, you don't have the substance that you need. You don't have the experience that you got to have. Amen. To move within your soul and your spirit and your heart. Amen. To make me victorious over it I'm not saying none of this is judgment I'm not saying none of this has got an axe to grind with anybody I'm telling you I feel that one of the personal things that's wrong with the, even the apostolic movement of our day is a lack of a personal encounter with God we're not careful we're so pronged and subject we won't account amen if they do just a little they got it they got it I refuse in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ not to be pressured at any moment of time because without this personal encounter, they're not going to make the journey. It's a must. It's a must. It's in the Word of God. So how in the world this little lad, this little youth, is going to be able to face a giant that was a warrior from his youth. That when he steps out on the battlefield, even Goliath belittles him. Real accuse him. Makes light of him. It's no amen, you know, making a laughing matter out of this. I can't believe. This little fair looking, reddish looking little lad just sent out here. Get to tell what he was going to do to him. But let me ask you something. What persuaded Saul to allow him to go? What if you were sitting in the seat of Saul? Would you? If you use your own reasoning ability? Praise God. I want to get a little illustration here. That's like taking Kenyon. Tell me to go against Brother Brad. Where are you going to put your money? That's about the way it was. Now Saul thought he's going to help it out by handing him his armor, by suiting him up for the battle. But David said, Oh no. But let me ask you, what persuaded Saul? Tell you what persuaded him. It's the first things out of David's mouth when he walked up in front of him. He began to tell him, I tended to my father's sheep on the backside of a desert. And a lion showed up. And a bear showed up. Now, now, how would Saul believe that? It was not an uncommon thing. Samson, if you remember, <laughs> was on a journey one day. And the Bible says a young lion comes out and leaps out of him. And the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord moved upon Samson. And with his bare hands, he rips that young lion apart. Samson and 
Saul and them knew about these kind of stories. You can go to Amos, the prophet that likens a man to a lamb, a lamb that's been torn apart. Nothing left but the baby leg and some ears. But you watch this. But even a lamb in that condition, if he's got ears to hear the word of God and the legs to walk on it, God can make him brand new. God can give him the victory. But he's got to have an ear to hear it and the legs to walk upon it and believe that God's word is God's word and it's going to happen. I've got to have an encounter with this God and the God of this word. I don't know how many times I tell you I need the God of this word, not just any God. I need the God of this word. He's not just one of the gods because there is no other God. If there's any other gods, man's made them. No other gods. He said, I don't know any other gods. Tells him how that that lion came and that bear came and took just one little lamb in the flea. He runs him down, pops him on the head, takes the lamb out of his mouth. He would have left, and the bear and lion could have lived. Read it. But when the lion and the bear roared up against him, he smote him again and slew him, the Bible said. You know what? That convinced Saul. He was persuaded. He was convinced. And that's the reason David could go down the side of that mountain through that brook picking up them five little stones, them smooth stones, and putting them in his pouch. I've had people talk about stones and trying this and all the other. I don't, you do with it what you want to. All I know that he just reaches in there and gets one of them. He don't say which one. He just reaches in his pouch and gets a stone out. He told that Goliath, he said, you come against me with a spirit and a sword and shield. He said, but I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Amen. It's a different ball game. Hallelujah. This is not my battle. This is a God that you defied. You didn't defy. You defied the God of Israel. Hallelujah. And he's going to fight this battle. And sure enough, the only place that that Goliath didn't have any protection. <laughs> Hallelujah. See, God knows. God knows. And I'm going to tell you what. I believe God. He could just direct that. It wasn't because David was such an expert. Maybe he was. Maybe he could, maybe he could knock that rabbit off. Or maybe he could do this and do that. But David wasn't depending on that. He was depending on the Lord. Hallelujah. Whenever he released that rock, he knew that God was going to take that rock. And even though he may not have the strength, the power, amen, to sink it in that old giant's skull and head, he knew there was a God that's going to put some power behind it and going to make sure it hit exactly where it's supposed to hit. And it sucked, the Bible said he sucked into his forehead and he fell on his face. When you have a personal encounter with God, when you got to face your Goliath, I'm here to tell you it's just them personal encounters of God with God that took the line of the bear. He said, This uncircumcised line, amen, is going to be any different. Reason people, amen, fall to the left and to the right simply because they didn't, they didn't get that personal encounter to start with and get it anchored down and settled like it should have been. No, not amen to me, but it's the truth. I could take you to other places. Time won't allow me. I could take you to Samuel. Samuel that was raised in the house, raised in the tabernacle. From a lad, from the time he was weaned. and That could have been from two to three to four years old. He was a minister unto Eli. <laughs> Praise God, you know the story.
It come a time in his life when the call of God was on him. You know why? Because the man of God's eyes became dim. And he didn't realize the light had went out in the tabernacle. That in Leviticus, we was taught for that light, for that lamp not to go out. But from the evening time until the dawn time, it had to burn. But he was going out. And so God calls Samuel. I want you to notice something about that. The first, second, and third time he calls Samuel. One time. Samuel. Samuel says, I'm here. And immediately he runs into Eli. We watch this. You know how God's going to speak to us most of the time? It's through spiritual leaders, pastors, fivefold ministry, and spiritual mentors. But let me say, let me tell you something. If those spiritual mentors is not preaching and have the voice and the backing of this, it's forever settled in heaven. And nobody can change it. I can't, and nobody else can. Okay? And so, three times he calls for Samuel. About the third time, Eli realizes what's going on. He tells Samuel, he said, Samuel, you go back. And when you lay down, said, when that voice calls you again, man, you tell the Lord, here I am. Now you watch it on this fourth call. Samuel! Samuel! Not once. Twice now. He calls his name out. A personal encounter with Samuel now. That particular chapter for you, the beginning of the verses, it talks about how precious the Word of God is. It wasn't available. It wasn't, it wasn't on everybody's coffee tables. I mentioned that this morning. And so how it came and how most heard it was through the man of God. How, they was, how Israel was going to be instructed. How they was going to be victorious. They had to depend on the Levitical priesthood. And the priests to instruct them and lead them and guide them. Just like with Moses. And now here comes Samuel. He's going to be one of the, the, the prophets and judges last. And begin to fulfill this. And, take, and you're going to watch him now. Why Samuel? If you read about the sons of Eli, the Bible says they, they were sons of Belial. They were sons of the devil. They had practice at the door of the tabernacle. You see, they, they was raised in the tabernacle. They was the priest's son. They was accustomed to the customs. They practiced the customs. Amen. They took the sacrifices. But they began to pollute those sacrifices. And they began to do with them what they wanted to do. They'd go in and take them before they were supposed to. Take meat they weren't supposed to be taking. They abused the women. I'm not trying to be too polite. But that's just that's the way it was. And God had sent Eli, a man of God. But according to scriptures, he never, he didn't. For what are, he questioned them about it, but he didn't put enough pressure on it. He didn't stop it. Not all, by no means, not all. But could it be that some of our churches that's been very successful, screwed to great numbers and had great leadership, 
All of a sudden, when the baton was passed, began to slip into the world. Began to allow us. Could it be that the product, the son of that individual, never encountered that personal re- the encounters with God through the baptism of the Holy Ghost? And all it was was to him was laws and rules and regulations. And when it come time for him to meet the Goliath and the spiritual giants, he didn't have what it took to make the stand. But he wasn't about to give up the church. And he wasn't about to give up the pocketbook. And he wasn't about to give up supposedly an easy life so he was willing because now he became a hireling and he was willing a man a man to to sacrifice the whole church for himself because there was a lack of a personal encounter with God I mentioned this here a while back a few weeks ago that God wasn't going to have any grandchildren When I got home, my wife said, baby, you need to straighten that out a little bit. She said, these grandbabies, these little ones around here, don't quite understand when you're saying that. (laughs) That God's not going to have any grandbabies. And we got them all around us. (laughs) But what we're saying is, you must be born again. (laughs) You can't slip in off of somebody else's experience. You can't, you, can't, you can't get your sins washed away by somebody else's baptism. Hey, that's a doctrine and it didn't just start. I'm telling you, it's been around a long time. I'm telling you, everybody's got to be baptized. When Nicodemus was in your lesson this morning, John, the third chapter, hallelujah, you must be born again of the water and the spirit. Hallelujah, it's the words of Jesus Christ. If you go into the book of Acts, amen, you're going to read and you're going to see Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19. The followers of John the Baptist, they all had to have their own personal experience. The experience with John the Baptist wouldn't get the job done now. You got to be born again. You got to be baptized. You got to experience this Holy Ghost for yourself. We haven't even so much heard of it, but now that we heard of it, you can experience it. I'm not making none of it up. It's in the book, it's in the Word of God. I won't do the seven pages. Sister Moore, you can come. Saul that became Paul in our lesson today. That ninth chapter of Acts. Where he was converted. With a personal encounter with the Lord. On that road to Damascus with the letters in his pocket to drag both men and women to the prison. This man had caused some to recant. This man had caused some to backslide. This man had caused some to lose their lives. The first martyr that you read about in Acts the seventh chapter, the coach was laid at the feet of the man called Saul of Tarsus. But now in this ninth chapter, he's on a journey and on a, on a way that he felt like he was doing what God wanted him to do. Read it. It's there. And on that way, 
You know the story how a light shined and he fell off the beast. <laughs> Cries out, Who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Struts him to go into Damascus into a place called Straight. And then watch this. Through visions, God's working now. God's working. God still works through visions, dreams. Huh. But you got to be careful with that. If those visions or dreams are contrary to this, the best thing you can do is throw them in the trash can. This here wipes it out. Because the devil can send you dreams. Your own mind has the power and the ability if you focus on it and desire it and passion after it enough, it develops its own. I'm just telling you like it is. And so, Paul now, after this encounter, after this visitation, watch what he writes in Galatians, the second chapter. Picking up about the 11th verse, he says, but I certify you. He was worried about the Galatians. Galatians, he said, you make me afraid. You're going back to beggar elements. You're going back keeping the moon. You're going back under Judaism. You're going back under the law. You've forsaken the grace of Christ. You've forsaken the experience. How did you experience this? By the flesh or by the Spirit? And then he, he begins to talk to us here and he begins to tell us. I certify, basically he says, I want you to know. That's what he's telling us. That the gospel which we preached, that was, which was preached of me, is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For he have heard of my conversion or conversation. At times past into Jews' religion. He said, you've heard my past. You've heard my manner of life. You've heard I persecuted the church. You, you, you know I was above all of my time and teachings. How that beyond measure, I, I, I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. I destroyed it by my hand, by my permission, by the drive that I had. He says, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceeding zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, to call me by His grace, and how often we read of the prophets that it's likened unto this, from even from there, how the call of God and how the hand of God was working, even from that point, bringing us, bringing us, bringing us, moving operating to bring us to this encounter, to this place. Called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen. That's us. That's Gentiles. Heathens was the dogs. Anybody that wasn't a Jew. That was heathens. We was considered heathens, outcast. Jews would go out of their way not to not to even come to the cities, not to even to that's reason it shocked the lady at the well that day that had the encounter 
with the first time of Jesus telling him that he was the Messiah. It was with a little lady that was having a relationship problem. It was a lady that struggled with life. It had finally reached a point and place in her life that she'd only come to the Jacob's well in the heat of the day when nobody else would be there because everybody else either come early or late. But Jesus says, I got great needs to go there because I got a little vessel that I got to have a personal encounter with. I'm telling you, God's walking in this house tonight. A personal encounter with you, lady. And when he began to converse with her, she even questioned, what, what are you doing? Are you even talking to me? Because he requested water. He said, but oh, if you just knew who I was, I got a water. But you'll never thirst. She began to question from where that well and where it's going to come from and how you're going to get it. You don't even have nothing to deal with. And as the conversation goes on, and he tells her, she said, hey, go get your husband. And that's where she comes to the point. She says, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. He said, you've had five, and the one you're shacking up with, he didn't say that. But the one you're living with is not yours. <laughs> she perceived, he said, you're a prophet. You're a prophet. And it's amazing. It's amazing. This encounter now, she couldn't deny. Hey, there's something here. There's, there's a presence. There's, there's, there's something. She leaves there. She goes and turns the city upside down. She goes and tells them she's bringing them back now. She'd done something that the disciples couldn't do. They went to get a little dinner. Took 11 men to go to McDonald's to get Jesus something to eat. Twelve. <laughs> you know what he had to do? You got I gotta get these cats out of the way. There's a time and season for everything. That's the reason you and I must walk in the Holy Ghost to be a witness for him. Because there's a time to witness and a time not to witness. When the time's right, do it, but when it's not, don't override it. That's the worst thing you can do. It's a God thing anyway. I wouldn't be here tonight without the grace of God. I wouldn't be here tonight without Him opening my eyes and opening my understanding. How often through the parables, Jesus, and He'd, get, he'd speak the parables to the people, but it was after the other end, the disciples, and they would question Him about them. You mean, Jesus, what are you trying to tell us? And in certain places, the Bible said he opened their understanding. Personal encounters with him. goes from that to the 17th verse he says to reveal his son in me 16th verse that I might preach him among the heathens immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood I didn't, I didn't consult I didn't counsel with flesh and blood 
Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia. I went into a desert. I went into a lonely place. A place by myself. A place kind of like Moses. On the backside of a desert. God could visit him. God could have a personal encounter. With no distractions. Why do you think the Lord has taught us which sometimes you just got to get in that prayer closet. You got to close the door and you got to shut everything else out. If you're going to have a personal encounter with him. If you're going to win. If you're going to be victorious. If you're going to be what God wants you to be. It's your soul in the balance. The devil's warring after you. The world's warring after you. The spirits of this world's warring against you. And the only thing that can keep them from overcoming us as a personal encounter with this man called Jesus Christ. Who is our high priest. Who is interceding it even at this very moment as I speak right now. That you and I would overcome and be victorious. He paid the price. He was a lamb. He was that spotless lamb. There's no other blood but his blood. Watch this. He was the one that rent the veil. That's not all. Read further. He tore down petitions and walls and divisions, even between the Jews and the Gentiles. That's the reason. In this personal encounter, when the lady come, that her daughter was fixed with the devil, he, we say that he reaches around Calvary. He heals that daughter. I'm telling you, it's nothing like that personal. That personal encounter with God. That initial birthing of the water and of the Spirit. With the evidence of speaking in that heavenly language with that Jerusalem ring. There's nothing like it on the face of the earth. Oh, there's times that the devil tries to counterfeit it. Times that flesh wants to counterfeit it. But I'm telling you, if you've ever experienced it and been around it, you know. You know. Nobody has to tell you. We don't preach this to condemn. Jesus didn't condemn the world. He came to save the world. He came to give us life and life more abundantly. He came to give us as Gentiles to tear down petitions and walls that the two may become one. That those that are near and those that are far off may come. That was the Jews and the Gentiles. That's a reason under the dispensation of the church. There's really no number if you watch it. Read John the Baptist, John the Revelator. Huh. Whosoever will, let him come. As we stand in this house tonight, I'm not here to question your personal encounter. I'm not here to question your personal You've heard me make this statement several, several times in the last year, two years, three years. The statement, a personal Savior, that's what he's got to become. And that personal Savior comes through the plan of salvation, of the gospel, of the good tidings, the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection, the repentance, baptism, and filling of the Holy Ghost. That's how it comes. And then at that, it's just the launching pad. 
set out on a journey to finish this race, to finish this course, to hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. But the first encounter is what's going to count. It's the laying of the foundation that's what's going to count. It's that launching pad. Listen to what I'm telling you. Yes. You can't relay the foundation. Paul makes it clear, no man, you can't lay another found one foundation. But I'll tell you what you can do. Once you get the foundation right, you can take heed how you build there upon. You can build walls that's not right, but when God gives you another personal encounter and revelation, you can go back and tear them walls down and rebuild them right. Change the windows, you change the doors. Change the style of the roof. But you can't change the foundation. It's the launching pad. Paul believed in it so strong he wouldn't even go to places where others had already went and tried. visit their synagogues and the places. That's how important the foundation is. It's in the Bible. These altars are open tonight. Or maybe you want to make an altar where you're at. That's up to you. Because this God can visit us wherever we're at. And wherever we make an altar. And wherever we're willing to say, God... I'm ready to have a personal encounter. Maybe it's over a dilemma. Maybe it's over a situation. Whatever it might be. But this God will show up if you'll let him. Go ahead, Sister God walks the dark heat. Let it minister to you. Listen to it. Thank you. 
in the storm in the rain and in your sunshine he walks in the shadows my God he's a true believer in life
why don't we give that unto the Lord tonight? Oh, you excited about this, God? Lord bless you. You may be seated. Let me say this as you're being seated tonight. God walks the dark hills, the highways, the byways. He'll walk in the rain, the storms, the sunlight. Did you hear the part? He'll walk inside of us. Yes. Paul taught Corinthian church. He said, know we not that he of the temple of the Holy Ghost. Jesus instructed the Holy Ghost does what? Leads and guides us. Comforts us. Leads and guides us into all truth. Thank God. Amen. This Holy Ghost. Thank God for him. Amen. That will walk with us and talk with us and help us. Oh, what a miserable life this would be if we didn't have God to lean on. Call on and to help us. Man, maybe we're in that, in that room all by ourselves and think nobody can hear us and nobody cares. But I tell you what, this God does. You cry out to him, he'll show up. Amen. And he'll help us. Love you tonight. Appreciate you. Thanks for being here tonight. Let's